Hey everybody, welcome back to the Homeschool Lifestyle Podcast. This is your host, Nikki Alvarez, back with you for episode three, sitting here at the beach watching the waves roll in on a rainy day with my hot tea, nice and cozy, ready to connect with you guys. I want to say thank you so much for tuning into the last episode. Got lots of great feedback on it. Sounds like it was very helpful for a lot of you, and a lot of you maybe hadn't heard those perspectives that I offered an episode to. I really think it's important to kind of dig into some of those ideas that we talked about in episode two, just because it's talking about the truths and realities of homeschooling that really nobody's sharing. So if you haven't tuned in to episode two, you definitely want to listen. You can definitely listen to this episode without listening to episode two. But I would definitely, definitely, definitely go back to episode two and listen if you did not have a chance to do so yet. With that said, today we're going to keep diving into this idea of how to begin homeschooling. And we're going to talk about logistics today. We're going to talk about your homeschool path and some of these things that you've got to work out before we get to do some of the fun stuff like shopping for desks and curriculum. (laughs) So there's a few paths that a family can take when it comes to homeschooling. In this episode, we're going to discuss a few of them in regards to having your child enrolled in some sort of institution or just totally going rogue off the grid and being your own public or excuse me, private school. And if that sounds like what the heck are you talking about? Don't worry, we're going to dig into it. So Here in California, there are a lot of options available to the modern homeschool family, and I thought it was a great place for us to begin to dissect some of these programs that are available because California kind of has so many options that they've got a little bit of what all the states offer, whereas all of the other states may not offer all of the options that California has. So I feel like it's going to give us a good foundation, a good baseline to talk about some of these concepts. So, yes. Let's just get into it. So you will obviously want to Google this for your own state just to make sure that you've got all your bases covered, you've got everything that you need. But for the most part, this is a good general idea of what is available for a homeschool family. So your homeschool path. I know everybody gets really excited about all the homeschool styles that they see on Instagram or on Pinterest, like unschooling or classical or Montessori or Waldorf. But before we even get into any of that, like I said, we've got to discuss some of these nitty gritty pieces here. So we're going to start with the different paths you could choose. And the first one we're going to start with is charter school. So many of you have probably heard of charter schools. There are some charter schools where Children physically go in five days a week, and it's just like a school. And then there are homeschool charter schools, which sometimes are offered at those same brick-and-mortar charter schools. However, a lot of charter schools are also available just online, and they do have some sort of an office. But for the most part, thanks to the Internet, you really don't have to go to the physical school at all, if ever. So I did a little bit of research, and and most states do offer some sort of a charter school option. 45 states in the U.S. and 
including Washington, D.C., offer some sort of charter school with a stipend option. So a stipend basically is money given to you by the state to fund your child's educational path. Now, when you go through with the private school option, you are totally financially responsible for your educational path. We'll get into that in a little bit. So basically, when in a regular school, when the teacher is taking role, they, a, lot of, a lot of that information is collected because butts and seats gives the district money and gives the school money and funds and things like that. So basically what you're receiving is you're receiving those funds that your child would get if they were actually in a classroom. So it is still connected to the state. It is still connected to an institution. And I know there are some people who homeschool to totally disconnect from that. So this may not be the option for you if you're looking for that. However, it does have some pros to it. So you'll get to use that money those funds on approved curriculum, supplies, vendors, and extracurriculars. So for example, I'll, I'll go into this a little bit more in a little bit, the program, the path that we are on, and we are in a charter school, we weren't always that way, but we do use the funds for certain things like extracurriculars. So for example, one of my daughters goes to a junior design sewing school. We use those funds to pay for that. All of my girls, are learning to horseback ride. All our funds pay for that. Two of my girls go to a homeschool center and our funds are paid for, excuse me, the tuition is paid for out of, out, out of our funds. So each state has a different amount, but to give you an idea, in California for the 2023-2024 school year, a homeschool family could expect to receive around 3,500 to 3,700 per student per school year. And you can use that again, like I said, towards the homeschooling experience for things like curriculum, supplies, vendors, and extracurriculars. They'll have a list of approved vendors and approved curriculum. And if you're wanting to purchase or do something that's not on that list, it is fairly easy for a, a company or a person or a curriculum to become approved an approved vendor. And then you can go ahead and use those funds to purchase whatever it is you're trying to purchase. But that it, there is a little bit of kind of, you know, a loophole that's there. Or I shouldn't say loophole. A hoop you've got to jump through if there's something that you want to get that's not on that approved list. But it's not really that big of a headache. You just handle it and you get it done. You move on with your life. So you'll definitely want to Google that in your area. Check it out. Figure out what the funds uh, the fund amount is in your area, and then also get an idea of what is approved. So the state will have a list of things that they will approve, and then each individual charter school works with different vendors. And typically, if a vendor is approved at a different charter school but not approved at your charter school, it's fairly, very easy for that particular vendor to get approved at another charter school since they're already approved at, an, at another, another one because they all have to abide by the laws and the rules that the state has set forth. So it really is just upon that vendor to just kind of fill out the paperwork and submit it and do all that. So the rules and regulations and systems will differ from charter to charter, but essentially you'll have some sort of a homeschool or educational facilitator that 
you'll have some sort of monthly check-in, whether that's an in-person check-in, a Zoom call, or a scanning in of work once a month. So like, for example, for us, our charter school, the facilitator gives us a worksheet for each subject. And then my kids fill those out once a month. And then I scan them back into her and that's, you know, we're good to go. It sometimes there are things that maybe we haven't covered, especially for like science. Maybe we haven't gotten to that subject yet. And it, but it's, it all works out because they provide you with the answers and instructions. So you can actually go over that with your kid and that, you know, it can become this lesson. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. We do just do the song and dance when it comes to the worksheets so that we can use the funds for extracurriculars. I'm not a super fan of this process. However, it opens up more opportunities for my kids. So right now I'm okay with doing the song and dance because they get to ride horses and other things. The other cool thing or pro about a charter school is that all of your attendance and grade reporting is kept and maintained for you. So it's not something that you have to worry about. I do want to kind of twirl a flag here. <laughs> if you're homeschooling, like I said, in the name of freedom and total control over your homeschool experience, you're probably going to face some roadblocks with a charter. There have been times where I've heard from other families where their charter schools were like, well, I want to see you do this, this, and this. And you're, you know, the family's kind of sitting there like, well, actually, I have my whole year planned out already, and that's not part of it. And now I've got to take time out of my, my days to do this work for you to turn it in to the state. And there are times when it is annoying. But, you know, the trade-off there is that you do get those funds to use, and especially if the funding piece is something that a particular family is worried about, you know, having to kind of jump through an extra hoop and turn in a worksheet. It's really not that bad, but I do just want to caution you that there's some things there. Also, another little tidbit here that I think is important to mention, if your family is deciding to homeschool from any sort of religious viewpoint, none of those curriculum or supplies are going to be covered or approved for your funds to be spent on. So those types of things would have to come out of your own pocket. But everything else, like paper, pencils, markers, crayons, all of those things, um, for the most part, every charter school has an Amazon link with a bunch of stuff that, you know, if you need protractors or rulers or scissors or glue or whatever it is that you need, for the most part, it's on there and it's already approved, which is really cool because you can just go on there and shop for whatever it is that you need. So our charter experience, I wanted to talk about this because, so when we first decided to pull our kids from charter school, excuse me, from public school, we started with a charter. I really didn't know much about anything. I was just like, I don't want to be responsible for attendance. I don't want to be responsible for, you know, grading and reporting and keeping track of all of, excuse me, all of that. So we decided, and not only that, it was our first year, so we decided we'll go with a charter school before we jump to, I kind of always just wanted to do a PSA. Again, well, that's the next one we're going to talk about. But our charter experience with this first charter school was not the greatest. <laughs> so a lot of it had to do with it. I just wasn't very educated on charter schools, but 
you know what, you live and you learn and it is what it is. So we signed up with this charter and this charter kind of gave the feel more of independent studies where at the time I was only homeschooling my two oldest girls. So that would have been grade four and kindergarten. No, grade four and first grade, I think, or grade four and, yeah, grade four and first grade or grade four and kindergarten. Either way, it's irrelevant. But they gave us the actual teacher's books that a teacher is using in a classroom for each grade and then for each subject. And so the way that those things are planned out is they're planned out for them to fill a full school day. And, you know, there's nothing in there that's like, oh, you've got another kid that you're going to be teaching in a different grade that also has a book that's filled the whole school day. And so I just felt like I was drowning in it because I'm like, there's not enough time in the day. How am I supposed to do this? I had a newborn baby and here I am trying to hit all of these different things in these books with very, very, very little guidance from my facilitator. She was a wonderful, very kind woman. But after having had combed through Pinterest for the last few years because I'd been homeschool obsessed, I knew that there were better, more efficient ways for me to teach my kids and for me to do some family style learning, especially when it came to history and science and things like that. And so I'd asked my facilitator, I said, hey, I'm finding these areas of this whole transition really challenging. Can I do some family style learning? I have found some other things that are the same content that is being taught in these books, but it's just going to be a lot more efficient for me with with teaching two grades, with transitioning from public to homeschool and with having a newborn baby and, you know, cooking and cleaning and keeping up with my life. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. You can go ahead and supplement. So I start supplementing. And as the months go on, I started supplementing more and more with the things that I had found or purchased on my own. Uh, I'd also like to pause here for a sec. This school did not give us funds. So instead of giving us funds, they gave us the actual materials. And so that's kind of where the funds got spent. So we didn't have a choice of curriculum. We didn't, if I needed crayons and markers or paper, I had to email her or call her and she would put together a little baggie for me and I would pick it up and I would go on my way with whatever it was that I needed. So it was a total different type of, program that I thought I was getting myself into. And I guess I just was really bummed, you know, it just, it didn't fit my expectations. <laughs> so anyways, months go down the line and at the end of the year, here I am turning in all of our final work for the month. And she, the facilitator goes, can I give you a call? I want to talk to you. And honestly, I'm like, part of me is like, okay, maybe it's just like an end of year phone call. And then the other part of me is like, something is wrong. <laughs> and it was. And so I get on the phone with her and she's like, I just want to let you know that I'm not going to be able to give your girls full attendance for the last trimester, semester, whatever it was. And I'm like, well, why? And she said, well, going based off of the page that you ended on in those teacher's books that I gave you you know, that doesn't fulfill all of our attendance requirements. So basically, when you sign up and the program is run in the way that I'm describing, 
they are quantifying how many days or hours or time is spent schooling based upon how far along you get in those books. So regardless of the fact that I had supplemented with curriculum and things that were in alignment with that whole book, essentially it didn't count because I did not end in the page in the teacher's book where I was supposed to end. And she's like, I'm really sorry. I know that you guys worked really hard. I can see all of your work is here. I know you guys weren't just sitting around and not doing anything. I know you're working, but unfortunately I cannot give you full credit for attendance. And I'm like, what does that mean? And she's like, well, it doesn't mean that your kids can't, you know, go to the next grade or anything like that. She's like, but it does, you know, it, it will show on your record as some serious truancies. And at that point, like, what else could I do? But right there in that phone call, I knew I was like, I am never coming back to this school. <laughs> and I remember I got the email later that day. It was like, are you planning to re-enroll? Hell no. <laughs> so, you know, just be mindful about the things that you sign up for. Talk to some of these different charter schools. See what their requirements are. What is the check-in like? I really prefer a, a hands-off approach. I really don't want to be told what to do. And I don't, you know, the excess stress that was put on me trying to figure out what I was doing homeschooling and then on top of having to answer to someone and making it feel like all of a sudden I'm in school with these assignments that need to be done and done correctly and all of the things, it, it wasn't, it wasn't fun. That, and, and, you know, maybe someone else may like that more structured feel. Maybe it's great if you're really looking to kind of homeschool in a traditional way where it mirrors the classroom. And maybe if you've only got one kid or if you've got another learning partner available to help you teach your multiple grade children. But for us, it just wasn't a match. Then after that, we did a PSA, which is what I'll be going into next. And a PSA is, a PSA stands for private school affidavit. So we were considered our own private school. We named our school, we named a director, we named a principal. Obviously, I'm the director and Marco's the principal. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because we had fun naming our school and, and all of that. And that's where Academy of Dharma came about, which is the name of my website, if you guys have not checked it out. And so anyways, you get to pick your own private school name. It basically means when you fill out that affidavit, it means that you're becoming your own private school. It means that you are financially responsible for your child's educational path. You are totally responsible for their academic learning and what they're going to consume and how often and that you are just taking on that role. And in doing so, you get no money, no funds, but it, you do whatever you want. And we did that for about two years. And honestly, I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Then I realized that there were all of these, you know, then fast forward to this year. And we're a couple months into school. And I end up, I start talking to some of these other homeschool families. We changed dance studios. And so I started to meet more homeschool families. And you know, I really had never given the charter school idea a second thought because I was just like, that was horrible last time. Then I started talking to some of these other families and they were really talking to me about their different charter schools and how it was a lot more hands off and how they were able to pick and choose their own curriculum 
and it was just a better experience. And then they were using their funds to do all these cool activities with their kids. And the whole cool activities with their kids really lit up for me. <laughs> My kids do a lot of activities, but Marco and I are really into creating a well-rounded individuals and teaching them to make things with their hands. And so when I saw, you know, how much I could get per child, it was just like horseback riding, cooking classes, sewing classes, whittling classes, leather classes, gardening classes. Like it was all of the things were all of a sudden now available to our family. And so I thought, well, let me look into this. Let me see if I can just do this little song and dance for these funds. And so we are now at a charter school that I do really enjoy. It is very hands-off. I do turn in something per subject once a month per kid. So I think it works out to be like six different worksheets. And you've got, they give them to you a month in advance. So you've got time to fill out these worksheets. It comes with instruction and the answers in case you get into some trouble and you're not sure how to do it. And then the facilitator is always available so you can call and talk to them and get extra help if you need it. But let's pull it back a little bit and talk about a PSA before we go any further on that. So like I said, the PSA stands for Private School Affidavit, and it basically means you're becoming your own private school. In the state of California, there's a window once a year where these affidavits can be either print out, filled out, and mailed in, or you can just fill them out and submit them online. It literally is a five-minute process, if that. It was so simple and easy. It's just, it's like, it's less than 10 questions that they ask you. And really, it's like filling out a W-2, honestly. So in California, when you can actually fill these out and submit them is in the month of October. I want to say it's, and it's for two weeks, and it's like the second week of October when it opens up. And if you miss it, it's okay. Keep schooling. Just fill it out the next time it comes around. Obviously, you want to fill it out that year if you can. I marked an alarm, and I had two of my other girlfriends. They marked an alarm, and so by the time it came around, we all jumped on and did what we needed to do, and we reminded each other. Um, so setting an alarm for this is great, a calendar alarm. And that doesn't mean you can't school until then. You school the whole time and you're just, that's just when you fill out your paperwork. Just like, you know, you do your taxes at a certain time, you just fill out your paperwork then. So as a PSA, you are fully financially responsible for everything in your school. You'll receive no funding from the state for anything, not for supplies, curriculum, extracurriculars, nothing. But you have total academic freedom of whatever it is that you want to teach your kids, however you want to do it, in whatever time frame you want to do it. And that's the beauty of a PSA. You are also responsible for all your record keeping. With elementary school in the state of California, it's not as, I guess, strict on those types of things as far as that being looked at. But when you do get into middle school and high school, those things are very important to be taking care of and keeping track of. However, at the same time, know that an institution like CPS could come in at any time and want you to prove that you've been teaching your kids. So I would say maybe not throw away all of your work until the end of the year, that type of thing, just to cover yourself. The likelihood of that happening, you guys, is 
like super, super low unless, you know, the family's doing something questionable and they're being watched or whatever. <laughs> but yes, it's normally not even anything to worry about or think about. I wouldn't even use that as like a, a reason to hold me back from doing a PSA. So also with that, you are, like I said, you're responsible for all record keeping, attendance, academics. There's apps and a ton of different blogs to educate yourself on this. It can be done and it's really honestly not as daunting as it sounds. It's just getting it going from the get-go or picking up from where you are now. But the point is, is just getting it going and doing it. So the next type of path you can take is either through a co-op or a homeschool center. The reason I bring these up, these are not somewhere where you would enroll and that would be considered proof that your kid is receiving an education by the state. This is just considered like an extracurricular. I just don't want anyone to get confused. So for example, we've got our kids in this really, really cool homeschool center and we are enrolled through our charter school and then we use our charter funds to pay for this homeschooling center. Co-ops, as far as I know, I've never seen one on a vendor list for a charter school, but co-ops are more like groups of homeschool families that will get together to focus on maybe one subject a week or whatever it may be, but it's more of a group of homeschoolers getting together to study together. And again, that is not considered to be any sort of enrollment that's going to be, you know, okay with the state. Okay, so the next path I want to discuss is independent studies. Independent studies is kind of what you would hear about or what you may think of from like the 80s and the 90s. Maybe when a kid got expelled or just didn't want to go to school in a public school setting anymore, they would do independent studies. Or if they were, you know, studying abroad or, or ill and had to be out for a while, they would do independent studies. And basically what that is, is the family would pick up a packet for each student, maybe weekly or monthly, and then they turn it in at the end of the week or at the end of the month. And, you know, they finish that all the way up until, you know, they're done with high school or, or wherever they're at. There are limited resources for help, oftentimes in programs like this. And I really just wanted to bring this up because this is not, I feel like with the people who are listening and that are attracted to this podcast, this probably is not the way that you're wanting to homeschool. And I would just say, I'm telling you this so that you know what it is, so that you don't kind of step into that pitfall like I did and end up in a program that you're just not into for an entire year. And I could have dropped and left, but I didn't really understand or realize and didn't really know what that would entail if I did that. So I just stuck it out the year. But yeah, just if it didn't sound like your vibe when I was describing that, just make sure that when you sign up for your charter school, that it's not that type of situation. There may be other options available in your area, but the ones that we've talked about today are going to be the most common. They might have different names or things like that, but for the most part, these are the different ways that different homeschool programs are run. And when you're talking about being in an enrolled somewhere for it to quote unquote count towards something. So I would say, you know, obviously Google your state, your area and see what is available to you. You'll definitely want to figure out your route 
before you start ordering curriculum and all that, especially if you end up getting something that maybe doesn't align with where you've signed up. So you definitely just want to do your research a little bit on those things. I, if I were you, when if you're looking into a charter school, I would probably apply to a couple of different ones. It'll probably take you a week or so to get in, probably a little less than a week to get in somewhere or get responses and kind of see, do they have a wait list? Because sometimes that's the situation because there's only so much funding and maybe you need to try a different one. Maybe this particular charter school offers this much funding and this particular school doesn't. I know that that happens in California and I, I don't entirely know what goes into those decisions, but I do think it has to do with number of students and, you know, grades and whatnot, work collected and the culmination of those things. Like I said, I don't entirely know for sure how they come up with that, but there are schools that get more funding than other schools do. So like I said, I would apply for a couple of them in one week and do my research so you're not spending two months researching, just talking to charter schools get it done in one fell swoop. So I hope that I answered any of your questions about where to start, because sometimes that feels very, very daunting when you're going down a new path and you're not sure entirely what to do next. But I do want to say for the next episode, this might kind of get a little exciting for some of you homeschool nerds like myself. We're going to be breaking down the different homeschool styles. And you'll be able to listen and figure out which one fits for your family. And for us, not one fits, but several fit. And we'll talk about how we do that. And so when I'm talking about homeschool styles, I'm talking about things like maybe you've heard of Waldorf or Montessori or unschooling, things like that. So the next episode, we'll be digging into that. So stick around and stay tuned for posts when that episode drops. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time and space. I hope today's episode was helpful for you and your family. Hugging you all. Feel it.